The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. The choice is between normal, Natalie Cheel, or crazy. Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, it's Wednesday, the 7th of January, 2024. We have a lot to get uh, through here today, so let's get straight into it. This is Open Line. I'm Rick Munn, Natalie Cheel, Gemma Cooper, David Thunder, and Claire Dyer. We'll all be squeezed in uh, to the next 56 minutes, all being well here live on TNT. And yeah, Open Line. End of the show, last 20 minutes, the lines will be open. You'll be able to give us a call uh, and talk to us, you know, talk to us if you really want to, or simply continue to listen in, leave your thoughts, opinions, and comments on our live stream. Before we get into it, just letting you know, February is a very big month uh, on the political scene and the, the justice scene at the moment. And uh, last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February the 20th and 21st. So that's imminent at the moment at the UK High Court to determine whether it'll have permission to appeal or whether it will be extradited over to uh, the United States to face trial. So TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice uh, for the duration of that trial, also broadcasting and covering uh, from various parts of London. So make sure you stay tuned for that. That's coming up on the 20th and the 21st of February. Landon might, uh, expensive place, Natalie, expensive place to go, expensive place to eat. Yeah. We were talking yesterday, the woes and miseries uh, of eating out at McDonald's at the minute. It could set you back 30 quid uh, for a few happy meals and uh, a few nasty milkshakes but hey we've done a little bit of research for our guests or, or not our yeah. guests or lovely listeners out there and there's apparently michelin star restaurant at least one anyway in the uk you can go and have some scran for 15 quid ahead 15 quid ahead for michelin star that's cheaper than mcdonald's what yeah well that's that? one five people not five oh 15 pound and actually yeah. i checked that this place the coach in marlowe is only a half an hour drive away for me so i could do my show i could get in my car i could go and have a two yeah, yeah michelin scott star uh two courses for gotcha. 15 pound i could add a third seven pound 50 and that'll be a bit basically as cheap as mcdonald's and uh i've also noticed uh just normal restaurants some of them are a bit cheeky we went to a steak restaurant and when we got there i was like oh the prices haven't gone up and what they've done very cheekily is uh all the extras they started charging so the steak was the same price but then you had to pay five pound for like chips or a jacket potato and five pounds for chip uh, for like uh vegetables on top of it so it was a 10 pound increase from the last time we went they just very cleverly did it in sides that you didn't realize that you were going to pay for until the bill came and uh things like you know like chain chain restaurants i couldn't believe the prices walking through you know like the the italian restaurants it's now like 16.99 for a pasta with a bit of chicken uh so these are these these are good the, the, the I'm, i i may actually do it just for the research for the show do a half an hour drive just to get to the coach in marlow do you not do you not find it's a little bit sus though uh michelin star 15 quid to say if something is too good to be true it probably, <laughs> it probably is there must be something way loaded into the back end somewhere so they're probably going to increase yep. the fat to 300 so it's 15 quid ahead and then when I, you get your bill have uh, the time they add service charges and whatnot on it there's no i, I just can't see how literally a michelin star restaurant is I, no <clears> pun intended <throat> as cheap as chips i did uh check the website this morning for this particular one with the lowest um price 
and uh, it said you can book on the day <clears throat> and it's Tom Kerridge's place. So uh, I think that's their idea. Uh, they just want yeah. as many people through the door as possible. It's probably a very small set menu, but I'm gonna, I'll do research for the show. I'll put myself out Dude. for you guys and I, I and I will do a, a, a little uh, drive around there and I'll do a comeback and do a review compared to McDonald's and see what we think. We should get a GoFundMe page set up for us uh, to sample Michelin star restaurants and find out if they're actually cheaper There's, than McDonald's. There was one in Northern Ireland. Uh, Is Ox there? Belfast, a two-course set menu for forty pound. Uh, the Ox Belfast. So go, go, yeah, it's forty quid. It's not each. cheap That's though. 80, 80 quid for a lunch, two courses. No, I'll pass on that. You know, I'll take my, I'll take a cappuccino and a nice scone somewhere at uh, you know a fraction of the price. But here's the thing: does this not work slightly against? the aspirational branding of a Michelin star. So you bust your ass, you get your Michelin star, you get your super rave reviews, and then you're actually cheaper than the least, the, the nearest greasy spoon cafe. Some snobs out there, actually, it might turn the snobs off going to that place, and you might find a load of commoners, a load of the unwashed descending on that Michelin oh. star restaurant. It could actually put them out of business. I, d- I don't know, Rick, some people are rich because they're stingy. And uh, some right. people will absolutely love it. They've got a lot of money because they don't like to spend it. That's what I used to realise when I was in a shop. So uh, you might be you might be surprised. They're tight. We call them people like that tight in Northern Ireland. Some would say they're tighter than two coats of paint. You know, when you put two coats of paint in the wall, that's how tight they are. They're as tight as two coats of paint. But anyway, uh, someone uh, who maybe able to shed uh, some more light on this. I don't know if she's a, a restaurant uh, connoisseur or not, but we're going to get Gemma's views and opinions in this one too when we come right back here on TNT, today's news talk. Conversations to inform and include. It's meant for everyday people to understand. Today's news talk radio, TNT. 15 quid, Gemma, 15 quid. Is it a Michelin star cheese sandwich or what do you think is on offer for 15 quid in this Michelin starred restaurant? Well, I think we should dispatch War Rocket Natalie to go and do a reconnaissance mission, without a doubt. Um, but uh, I, I suspect it's going to be down the cheese sandwich route because Tom Kerridge, he came under fire, didn't he? Just He served a 40 quid fish and chips not long ago, and everyone yeah. said that they could get better at their local chippy for 15 quid. Um, there's the magic number again. Um, but yeah, go, go, let's see. You know, Just yeah. to show the highlights, the disparity now between what we think food is. And if people are willing to pay 30 quid for McDonald's, they clearly think think that's a value uh, and if you think it's will it you know let's let's see what you get for the 15 quid and if it's worth it you know you might it might be a small portion but it might taste absolutely delicious and be done perfectly in that, which case is that value for money you know it, it food is changing so much isn't it and the way we look at food the yeah. way we consume food and what we consider food i mean that is a very polarizing debate in itself i think with people in the freedom movement knowing that food is medicine and uh, and we should be looking after ourselves and some people thinking i'll oh, throw caution to the wind 30 quid on mcdonald's brilliant job a good one you know it's very polarizing debate Mm-hmm. It is. And linking in with the food thing, you know, beautifully see, segueing or seeking into uh, the story that you have for us here. The old farmers, uh, as we know, this uh, protest have been spreading like wildfire across Europe. You've got France, you've got Germany, you've got Romania pitching in Spain, UK and Ireland rumbling away in the background. Seems to be there's been a, a breakthrough 
uh, this week, uh, old Ursula von der Leyen. Uh, I don't know how much money she spends on electricity with her hairdryer, getting her hair to sit like that every morning and brisk those hairspray. Uh, you know, actually thinking about this, that's she's quite, talking that's about... causing climate change enough, isn't it? I was thinking <laughs> that she's got a problem with pesticides. I would say her Bristow's hairspray budget exceeds the EU farmers' uh, pesticide budget for a year. But she's uh, backtracked a tad on this one. Uh, is it a temporarily step uh, back? No doubt, knowing von der Leyen it is. But what's the lowdown on the breakthrough with this here this week, Joe? Well, I mean, this is this, this is a great story. It happened yesterday afternoon, UK time. We, we'd come off air. I'd come off air at TNT. We'd come off air. Um, but obviously, we've been following this story. You've had plenty of guests on talking about farming. We've just been talking about food. And there is a victory. There has been a victory yesterday afternoon in the European Parliament uh, that they're climbing down on their net zero proposals in the face of all the protests that have happened. And of course, a lot of the farmers from right across Europe, from those countries that you outlined, Rick, they all converged on Brussels last week ahead of this summit, of the farming summit, to make their feelings known. And boy, did they make their feelings known. Now, they're still there uh, and the protests are continuing today right across Europe. You mentioned Spain there. They joined the protests yesterday. They joined yesterday. So it takes the tally up from Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Poland, Romania, and now Spain. Yesterday, they started blocking roads in their country with tractors and burning tires. So Ursula von der Leyen, she got up onto the stand yesterday. She's the president of the European Commission, as we know. And she said, yep, we're going to drop the demands for farmers to reduce their emissions, their nitrogen, their methane and other emissions by a third by, by 2040. This is all part of net zero. They're going to climb down on that. She also offered a further uh, consideration and concession to the farmers, saying she's going to drop co controversial proposals, and they are, they've really divided opinion, drop the proposals to halve pesticide use within six years. She's dropping that. And she's also, they're also going to drop this recommendation that everyone in the EU, all the EU citizens should eat less meat. They're going to drop those from their Brussels plan as well. Um, so it does seem that direct action is the way forward. Uh, and yesterday she stood up and she said, yes, we, we admit that our plans for farming do need to be watered down. And she said this extraordinary quote, she said, our farmers need to be listened to. Well, it kind of begs the question, if you listen to them in the first place, they wouldn't have had to protest. They wouldn't be converging outside the European Parliament. They wouldn't be blocking roads in their countries if you just listen to them first of all. And I think they underestimated, much like they did uh, from March 2020 onwards, they, they underestimated the back backlash against these proposals, much like they underestimated the backlash against lockdown and mandatory vaccines and vaccine passports. They thought that everybody would just go along with these farming proposals, and they've underestimated the support of public opinion behind the farmers as well. It's not just the farmers. So they're backing down. And today, right now, as we speak, the European Parliament, as part of this farming summit, is debating the issue of empowering farmers in rural communities. And it remains to mm. be seen how far that will go. And what's very interesting is I picked this up this morning and I thought, oh, this must be receiving acres of, of mainstream coverage. And the mainstream have not really gone near this story because they were so keen to tar, tar the farmers with the far right brush. And it rather reminds me of the statement that goes around the UK freedom movement. We're not far right. We're just right so far. Mm. And what's happened in yeah. the European Parliament with them backing down proves the farmers are right. Um, and I think this will galvanize them and they will keep going until maybe they cave in on everything. It's possible. Mm. It's possible.
Now, who do these uh, people think they are, especially von der Leyen, having the audacity to say, well, we're going to backtrack on our recommendations that people like Natalie and Gemma and Rickman and Cam and everyone listening in at the minute that they eat less meat. We're going to back down on our recommendations. Yeah. Who the hell do they think they are telling me what I can and can't eat? Ursula von der Leyen. She should stick to going to the hairdresser every day <laughs> and leave me to go to the butchers. What do you reckon? Well, I absolutely agree. Uh, Mogden in the online chat says, I still don't trust her. I don't trust her either. Uh, but it is a victory and we should celebrate it because it proves, uh, yeah, that they're backing down now. They had to back down with the vaccine passports. Non-compliance does work. Um, and and that's, that's two bits of proof there that if we do stand up to the system, they do have to listen. People power does work. And there's, we, we get so much doom and gloom every day. We've got to take these stories and we've got to take the positive out of it uh you know in the end the farmers standing up was just too much you know the the old farts you know they've had they've had to stand up to the cows farting in the end you know uh -huh. it's it's, it's uh -huh. not as important as the farmers so no, that, you there don't we mess go. with tractors you don't mess with tractors because even uh even whenever they they tried blocking the roads to stop the tractors going past they simply drove off the road and they drove through the fields yeah, and they so. went around the other side of the roadblock and i even seen this week uh some uh cops uh, got stranded in a field and you know you could see the smirks on the farmers faces and they actually did the right thing they actually told those cop cars out and how sheepish those cops look that they're there to stop them from earning a living of course they're being told to do it but the people that they're there to prevent protesting were the ones that actually rescued them and saved them face and got them back up on the road again how can you how can you fight against someone that's putting food on your table and that's in some cases literally towing your uh your your vehicle out of their own fields and, and don't yeah, absolutely embarrassing yeah for them as well isn't it Gemma you know they've had to back down there's a good reason they've not kind of shared it in the mainstream media because it looks bad on them doesn't it it does indeed I mean it, every every mainstream media outlet in every country uh, branded the farmers far right within their country every single country they did the same thing in lockstep they said oh the farmers they're all crazy they're all far right lunatics well they can't say that now because more and more are joining by the day and also public opinions behind them so are your readers and viewers all far right lunatics there's so many, yeah. so many times they can use that before everyone just goes for God's sake isn't they, that's almost a red pill moment for a lot of people because it's not about that it's about right you, as you rightly say the food on our plates um, and and how hard farmers work and, and it's a hard life for them. It is a hard life yeah. for them. Um, so yeah, it is a victory of sorts. We do do a lot of doom and gloom. Let's take this one on hump day yes. and let's hope that, you know, the continued action, they're not backing down. They're not mm. stopping. They're not, they yeah. aren't stopping today. There's, you know, in Spain, it's kicking right off. So let's hope that, you know, continued non-compliance as we saw with the vaccine passports, yeah. as we saw with yeah. vaccine mandates, non-compliance, yes. standing up to the system in big numbers, works works really quick really quick super funny farmer story for you as well you know rihanna you know the pop star rihanna yeah, yeah? she filmed the video not too far away from my house i kid you not she was in northern ireland <laughs> and she filmed the video we found love in a hopeless place that was actually I love that shot song. Well, right. Some of it was shot in a greasy spoon cafe in Belfast and another part of it where she's dancing around in a field was shot about three miles away from my house uh, and her tow truck uh, got stuck. You know, the camera truck got stopped and yeah. the farmer came out and he had to actually tow uh, the gear. He didn't really know who she was. Uh, someone just came up and said, can we use your field to make a pop video? And then she said yes. And they actually complained because she was bouncing around in her bikini and he thought it was very, <laughs> uh, very rude because it was cars driving past. But anyway, 
Anyway, she got stuck and the local farmer pulled her out of the ditch. So not just uh, us, we need farmers, but even old Riri uh, needs the farmers <laughs> too to get her out of the ditches, not too far from my house. So there you go. Uh, great good story this morning. Yeah, good old farmers, good old farmers. So thank you, Gemma, for that. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. We'll be back with David Thunder. Uh, so don't go away. This is uh, TNT, today's news talk. TNT's Jeremy Now. Nice comment here from Rebecca. She says the youngest people... Um, I work with are a bit more mature, but their interactions with the public is stifled. And she's referring to the excessive use of cell phones and social media and how it's making them so antisocial also. The business is open six days a week. One of his staff members formally requested that they shouldn't, you know, that they could they be given permission not to have to work on Wednesdays so that they could help at the dog shelter. Now, as you know, I'm a dog lover. I have hunting dogs. I've got dogs coming out of my ears, my Malinois. And this dog, this Malinois, is bright even by Malinois standards. She can do crossword puzzles. Is lying under my desk at the moment, feeling sorry for herself because she's just come on heat for the first time and she's completely bewildered. She doesn't know why she's bleeding to death. It's not about whether it's a good or a bad thing to work at animal shelters. That's a delightful thing. It's a noble thing to do. But who in their right mind goes to their boss and says, would you mind, I'd rather not work on Wednesdays if it's okay, because I've got other priorities in a, in a town down the road. Jeremy now on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Yes, coming at you live and uncensored here, TNT, today's news talk. Uh, we're talking now, or we're about to talk with uh, David Thunder. David is a political philosopher and also a very savvy writer. Uh, you can follow him on his Substack page, which is davidthunder.substack.com. David, uh, we're going to talk this morning a little bit about censorship. Uh, you know, it's something that never goes far away, and it's something the government are only too happy to apply censorship and suppression uh, to people like us who are trying to get a message out there or trying to counter whatever narrative that they're pushing. Uh, there was a story that broke this week that you covered on social media to do with uh, Amazon suppressing uh, book sales during the COVID era, but it goes much deeper than that, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, basically, um, Jim Jordan, um, who is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee in the United States, uh, managed to subpoena Amazon to get documents that prove that a member of the Biden administration pressured um, Amazon to uh, take down content, to suppress content that they consider to be misinformation or disinformation um, concerning COVID vaccines. Um, and um, Amazon were initially, you know, reluctant uh, to do that. They knew it would be controversial, but eventually they put a do not promote notice on those books. So they eventually did, in fact, cave in to this pressure. Um, which which is actually illegal. I mean, basically, 
the, the, the Biden administration, as far as I'm concerned, is acting unconstitutionally in doing this and is violating the First Amendment rights of, of American citizens. Mm-hmm. On top of that, though, uh, on top of the censorship aspect of this, there's also it's a financial attack because if you're a, an author and you're depending on book sales, maybe to pay your mortgage, you put uh, food on the table and your books are suppressed, especially with a distributor like Amazon, not only are they suppressing your message or the, the content of your work, but they're also uh, hampering your ability to actually put food on the table or to pay the bills. So it's really a two pronged attack, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, the confusion here is that um, people think that uh, a bookseller, a major bookseller, a global bookseller like Amazon should be treated as a publisher, as if every word that comes out of any book on Amazon should be um, attributable to um, Amazon um, as a publisher. But Amazon is really just a bookseller. Um, It's a kind of infrastructure through which you know, sellers uh, or publishers can get their books out into the market. And um, and so the idea that they're liable for every word that comes out um, is completely unworkable and is also completely, um, ultimately, is goes against the principles of free society. Because as you say, it goes against the property rights uh, and the ability of publishers to actually make a living. Um, and it also completely goes against the idea of a free flow of ideas and free speech in a democracy. Um, I mean, because Amazon is not a minor bookseller. Clearly, if you are blacklisted on Amazon, um, you know, y- your book is destroyed, basically, um, in practical terms. David, we... Um- <laughs> We think about burning books from the past, don't we? I mean, this actually is pretty similar, isn't it? When they actually were asked to reduce the visibility of certain books that the White that the White House disliked, um, they may as well have burnt them. If people can't buy them, if people can't see them, it, it, it's very similar, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of the, the the index of prohibited books that the Catholic Church had, you know, for many centuries. And that basically it was prohibited to promulgate these books, to sell them, to publish them. Um, And there were sanctions attached to that and bishops enforced these sanctions. Um, And in a way, I feel like we're kind of going back to a medieval attitude towards publishing um, and the Spanish Inquisition. And this kind of idea uh, that, you know, that the authorities have to micromanage and control all of the ideas that go into our heads. And that we, the little citizens, we're not able to process these ideas safely. And I think this idea, well, the ultimate uh, kind of uh, fallacy behind this is that people, that there are some people out there, the experts, who know better than everybody else about these issues. And therefore, they should be able to decide in advance what we should listen to, what we should read, what we should see. Um, And that's the fallacy because there is no hierarchy like that. Um, just because you end up on the WHO, on a committee in the WHO, for example, or you happen to be in the White House, does not mean that you're wiser, more knowledgeable, or more truthful. Um, I mean, it's when I say it, it's just obvious, but that's the premise of all of this censorship. Uh, the other thing uh, to look at, uh, just as we wrap this up as well, David, is Amazon simply joining the latest list of uh, distributors or uh, product providers that are suppressing people based on their content. There was another story uh, we saw this week about PayPal that was leaked uh, uh 
correspondence from PayPal to say that they were suppressing people in 2020, actually for their immigration stances, even before, you know, the pandemic really kicked off. And of course, during the Canadian truckers protest, you had uh, PayPal were also uh, uh, withholding people's funds. And that GoFundMe was another one uh, that withheld up to $10 million that had been donated towards the Canadian truckers uh, effort, uh, their war effort up in Ottawa two years ago. So it seems to be the list is growing of these companies that have supported uh, government enforced censorship or withholding of funds. So I dare say there'll be more joining that list probably uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think so. And I think we, we should look out for the Supreme Court case that's going to be very, very important that is coming up um, where they'll hear arguments that the Biden administration was complicit in um, censorship um, by pressuring social media companies into censoring content. And I think I'm hoping that that will be a victory for free speech and that the Supreme Court will make a sensible decision. Well, let's hope they do not. Uh, you know, any final thoughts on this one? Obviously, you know, a lot of people use Amazon, uh, but still, even with their financial clout that they had, they didn't have enough, uh, how would you say, backbone to stand up to the orders that were being enforced on them uh, when it came to these uh, these books. Yeah, I think um, this is well, a really important yeah. one to, to highlight. Um, David, um, if you go and follow him on X, did uh, tweet out Jim Jordan's um, very good Fred, and it is worth. It's definitely worth a read. And I think we know that they do it on social media. We know that they were doing that on X on Facebook. But I don't think people were aware so much that uh, Amazon had caved into the pressure as well, David. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I, I think that we should be looking to diversify our platforms and our sources of information mm. and, um, you know, be aware that our information is often filtered. And therefore, I think, you know, it's incumbent upon us to support independent media um, in all of its various forms, you know, uh, and, and, and I think people should be aware of that, you know, to diversify their media sources and, and support independent media in this kind of atmosphere. Indeed, and that's what we're uh, trying to do here in TNT as well. Obviously, we're independent and uh, we try and give as many platforms as we can, or it is a big platform for people to come on and speak freely about whatever it is that they're actively involved in, or if they have a product or, or a book or a service that they're promoting, then we try and give them a little bit of a leg up here on TNT also. So David, many, many thanks to you. We'll have to take a little you, uh, break for news right now. So big thanks thank you. to you for coming on here this morning. Much appreciated thanks. as always. Stay tuned. We will be back in a minute uh, with uh, Claire Dyer uh, talking about uh, Project Detroit and the ongoing ULES shenanigans in London here live and uncensored on TNT. I have some even more exciting news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. As tensions rise over border security in America, President Joe Biden's tried convincing Americans Donald Trump is the reason the country is being invaded. Britain has announced it's withdrawing one of its warships from the Red Sea following repeated missile and drone attacks by Houthi forces. And Saudi Arabia has announced it will not establish diplomatic relations with Israel unless a Palestinian state is established on the basis of 1967's borders. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Welcome back to the show. Don't forget, you can call in in the last 20 minutes. You can also get on our online chat and go follow today's news talk on all social media platforms. We've now got with us Claire Dyer. She is a big ULES campaigner. You can follow her on Facebook, so go find her there. How are you this morning, Claire? 
I'm fine, thank you. Yes, all ready to go. And, yeah, brilliant. And we've um, uh, seen something in the papers to, uh, that's called Project Detroit. What's all this about? Uh, this is something new, isn't it? Well, I saw in the Daily Mail that it said it's a secret, but it's not a secret. I think if anyone is aware, they would have known about this about three months ago because Peter Fortune actually confronted Sadiq Khan at the GLA assembly by which he denied all knowledge of it. Um, he it there was a website which was www.project2030tfl.co.uk and this was obviously the plans for project detroit which then subsequently got taken down um as i said he denied all knowledge um but within this website for project detroit they found that at that point in time there was already one to five million for resources um in pounds, one to five million for additional resources and staffing. There was a senior project owner going for about 250 to 500,000 and a program manager for the same. And this had already been worked on with the technology already up and running um, up to the 31st of June, 2024. So this is already done, it's already happened. And like I said, he's denying all knowledge of it, but obviously it's his baby, if you like. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I, I've, this this is uh, the facts that I've got from the Daily Mail. So obviously, you know, take that with a pinch of salt. But they say 157 staff. Some of these engineers are paid more than 100,000 on this yeah. project. It's already uh, a staggering 21 million has already been spent uh, up to uh, when it's finished. It could be 150 million. Yeah. And uh, of course, Sadiq Khan is denying that it's going to be a pay per mile scheme, but yeah. all the technology is being put in place that people in central London will be pay, will have to pay how much they actually travel per mile. Uh, that's what it sounds like to me anyway. Yeah, well, what it, it is interesting, this was obviously the beginning of November, he was first uh, confronted on it. And at that point, it was 97 staff. And as I said, he denied all knowledge, said he didn't know anything about it and would have to look into it. So obviously, subsequently, we're now up to 157 staff. So we know this is going ahead. The ULES contract actually ends in 2026 and pay per mile Project Detroit comes into effect as soon as ULES ends in 2026. So why he's denying, I mean, he's just proven himself to be a liar, why he's not admitting it's because, you know, if it's supposed to be a good thing, then why are you trying to keep it secret? Um, he, the, the, he also has plans to have this expanded out. So it won't just be obviously Greater London. He wants this expansion to go out across the whole of the UK. And as we know already, um, cities around the UK have already got their own ULES or LES scheme of some sort. So they're all introducing this to eventually at some point expand further and further out. And then that's where you've got the people um, who live in the countryside without good public transport are going to suffer. So, yeah. We've seen the farmers rise up. We've seen uh, the U EU have to back down. We covered that this morning. Is the best chance at the moment of getting Sadiq Khan out at the next general election? Or do we think that anyone who comes in is going to try push this project Detroit and more ULES plans? Well, Susan Hall has said that she will stop ULES on day one. And she said that she wouldn't do pay per mile. But the fact that the infrastructure is already there and the cameras already there, she said she would not take the cameras down and that she would hand them to the police. My understanding would be that, that would be used as a form of CCTV. So I, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. I mean, yeah. do we trust our politicians? I, I don't know. Um, what we don't want is definitely a split vote. 
Um, so if we have any chance, I'm probably going to say that we're going to have to vote Susan Hall, really, if we stand any chance. Um, we're actively obviously doing our bit because when we've now turned into what's called box blockers. So we moved from obviously blocking the mobile van units to now legally stopping the boxing stalls that they have to put in to support these cameras. So if they can't put the box in, then they can't put the camera in. And that's kind of taken off quite quite big at the moment. So, yeah. And we've obviously got the security again. So a lot of the security are back. So we we miss them. So they're back. Same oh. same old tricks, uh, masked up, supporting the and sort of protecting the maintenance uh, crew. But they tend to turn up a couple of hours late. So yes, we've moved on from van blocking to box blocking <laughs> to try and That's... stop these cameras from going up, especially in the suburban areas. Um, with the farmers, I mean. You know, India were protesting uh, back in 2020. Then it was the US farmers. Um, Europe started a good couple of years ago and that's continued and that's spreading. And now I think the UK farmers have had enough. Saying that, we do have um, an Alpington protest this Saturday by which it's obviously to support the motorists and the farmers collectively because it's all affecting all of us, you know, and it's affecting their industry as well. People so, have got to keep fighting back, haven't they, Rick? Yeah, they do. And it's interesting as well, if we can just pick up on the name that Can's using for this, this project, Detroit. Uh, Blotters in the live chat uh, has written a comment here. It's something I was thinking just as you were talking about it there. Uh, Blotter says, Project Detroit, destroy the London car ownership the same way like mm-hmm. the Motown car industry was destroyed. So if you know anything about cars uh-huh. and manufacturing in America, Detroit was a real uh, epicenter for car manufacturing in the car industry in, in, in America, and it was completely destroyed. It's now a ghost town, a shell of its former self since the motor industry collapsed in Detroit. So now maybe, I don't know, why would you name it Project Detroit in relation to something that's going on in London? We know they like to associate names Trolling with us. catastrophic events. Maybe is it a troll job, uh, Claire, do you think? Well, I mean, I do I do believe that there is a um, an assets publishing document um, in on the government to um, reduce private ownership of vehicles. So they want to, at some point, everything's got to be electric. So they'll push to obviously all electric vehicles, which we know, uh, is it by 2013, they don't want petrol or diesel vehicles. Um, so they, they want, want to new, push- New ones being sold. They, they wanted to stop the sale of new internal combustion engine cars from yes. 2030. They've kicked that can a little bit further down the road now to 2035, saying that they, they've listened to the people. So they're going to try and put a, an embargo in that. So they're, they're always kicking the can down the road, Claire. Yeah, I think it's called pacifying us, but obviously ultimately mm-hmm. there's, extensive documents pages and pages to reduce private ownership of vehicles eventually so go to electric go to car sharing um, electric scooters electric bikes so yeah reduce private um, ownership of vehicles and um, you know if we go even further you know the world economic forum back in december 2016 have a whole section and it's titled pushing for shared ownership goodbye car ownership hello clean air welcome to the future of transport so there definitely is a long-term kind of global initiative to basically remove vehicles off the roads and push you to public transport or walk-in or cycling. So, but you know, another another take- thing we 
we can do, Claire, I was going to say, as you're talking, um, we'll just not buy these electric vehicles. Um, we, you know, boycott them, uh, carry on buying petrol and diesel. And uh, that, that helps in itself, doesn't it? They can't push something uh, supply and demand that people don't want if people stop buying it. I mean, it will, but obviously, ultimately, you know, at one uh, at this stage, we've got a number of cars. We're on Euro six that aren't compliant. That's just going to extend further. Yeah. So, what do we do? Do we all collectively refuse to pay the fines? I mean, that's one option. You know, also try and stop these cameras from going up because if the cameras can't get you on AMPR, then they can't find you in the first instance. Which is, you know, where I live, we are actually ULES free. We don't have a camera. <laughs> we don't have one single camera or anything. So, you know, people can drive freely where we live, which is quite nice to know but I think you know that's the only way isn't it really um to keep him back I do wonder because we saw this um with other topics it, it you know they kind of I'm all right Jack type attitude so because it's in London at the moment um people are like well it doesn't affect me you know I live in Reading uh, so it's not quite come to Reading yet but I wonder when they push it too far if it if that is what will happen there'll be so many people that turn around and say I'm not paying it and that mass non-compliance will make the difference because at the moment I'm all right Jack I'm somewhere else I'll let the Londoners pay it I think there's an element of that isn't there yeah, we even have people in the ULES zone who say, well, my car's compliant, so it doesn't affect me. And my reply yeah. to them is, or now, your car's compliant for now, but by next year, it probably won't be because that goalpost is going to keep moving. Everyone has a breaking point because, as I said, it's not just about the ULES charge or the fines that people are incurring. It's everything else as well. We're in a cost of living crisis. People are getting fined left, right and centre. You don't get enough time to pay. I mean, you've only got to look at the DART charge. You get till that night to pay it. And if you don't, that's it. You're fined. Um, you know, the same with the airports. You know, you now got your charge £7.50 just to drop off and be in there for five minutes. Again, if you don't, I think, I don't know how long is it? Is it three days I think you have? That's mm-hmm. a fine. You know, you know, mortgages, everything. So at some point, people the, yeah. will start to break and that it will all be at different stages for each individual person as to when they get to the point where they say enough is not enough because even in the last year we've found more people are you know starting to rise up and say well I want to help try and collectively do something about this you know we're building teams to sort of help legally protest these blocks blocking stalls and we're you know we're creating teams around our you know our neighborhoods into neighboring neighborhoods and towns and areas and more people are starting to join because they've had enough yeah you know? I and absolutely i think that, agree. I think that will explain. yeah and people, people are power. around the world. Um, yeah exactly, exactly that I heard apparently uh, somebody in New Zealand actually said that they're watching everything that's going on with the ULES and they're calling it the Battle of Britain. <laughs> I would take that as a very huge compliment. Um, you know, I've had people from Canada say we're watching and definitely in Manchester and, you know, up to the north Scotland where they're already having this implemented. They're watching closely as to what we're doing to fight back and say when this comes to us, this is what we're going to be doing. So, I think they have done uh, done uh, the UK as a test, as they did for Wales with the 20 mile an hour speed limit. So let's show them that we're not going to take it, is what I say. Is there anything you want to finish with, Rick, before we have to say goodbye no, to Claire? Just can big, I, can big I just thanks add one for your thing? input. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Can I just, two things actually, can I just quickly add? So, you know, Man- uh, certain parts of Manchester just implemented a 10 mile an hour speed limit. 
And wow. the other thing I would like to do is obviously promote the Orpington um, protests on the 10th for the motorists mm-hmm. and the farmer. 11th is Sutton. They're doing a full camera block, 113 cameras. And on the 17th in Biggin Hill, we have our Carnival because Ulez is dead in um, Biggin Hill. So just to promote that That's- for everyone to come to that. Because we yep, need numbers. We do need numbers and make sure you carry on uh, following Claire on Facebook because she will continue to keep you updated on there too. But we've got to take a break now on today's new talk and lots of stories to cover here at TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. By now you probably heard all about the two police officers in New York City's Times Square that were beaten by a gang of illegal thugs. Four of them were arrested and released on bail and they're now headed to California and they're probably there by the border of Mexico already. But there's more to this. Stuff we haven't heard yet until now. There is this one percenter, you know, criminal element that looks at a different opportunity here. These individuals, I went over their rap sheets yesterday, multiple charges, grand larceny, robbery, attempted robbery, grand larceny, grand larceny. Uh, This particular crew operated on mopeds and scooters. They were doing organized retail theft. They were doing snatches on the street, iPhones, iPads, clothing, so on and so forth. Uh, One of them that they are still seeking has 10 charges on one day because he's part of a pattern that's been going on. That's CNN's John Miller. He's a former NYPD deputy commissioner, and he wasn't finished. I'm looking at the dates that their arrest started, which is probably close to when they got here. They've only been here a couple of months. So what the detectives are telling me is they have crews here that operate in New York, do all their stealing, then go to Florida to spend the money and then come back. And I'm like, well, why don't they just stay and steal in Florida? And they said, because there you go to jail. Oh. Keep us based on this. this is- the silence of the CNN anchors says it all. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. The conversation continues with Rick Munn and Natalie Cheel on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. Yes, indeed. What an action-packed show it's been this morning. Uh, two great guests, David and uh, Claire. Absolutely epic work that they're both doing. And, of course, massive respect to them. And thanks to them for coming on the show and speaking so freely. You lovely people out there, thanks for all the comments as well. They've been flying past this morning. Very, very difficult to keep up with them, which is a good thing. It's not a complaint. Thank you all for your lovely input this morning. Natalie, someone uh, has uh, made the headlines again, albeit briefly and probably for all the wrong reasons, but I think see. Secretly, we miss this guy. I'm referring to none other than Kwasi Quarteng, a.k.a. 
Kwakwa on the Open Line show. For those of you with very short goldfish-esque memories, Kwasi uh, Kwarteng or Kwakwa was the uh, the chancellor uh, for a whole 38 days under the Liz Truss uh, administration. Uh, he's now standing down from parliament at the next general election. He's throwing his hat in or hanging his hat up, should I say. Uh, he was uh, the first black conservative cabinet minister in 2021. Natalie, uh, we talked about this during the break uh, where we were off further. I think he's going to come back under this new popcorn party that uh, Liz trusts because there's a little picture of them sitting together uh, looking very smug. Surely he's not going to go away forever. I'll, I'll miss being but, able to say I know. I think you're, you're actually pretty upset about this because I think he it. might have served his purpose. I I'm think he it. might be gone. But, but, but Rick is really holding on to hope that he's coming back into politics. He lasted 38 days. I've had parties that's long, that's long lasted longer than 38 days but the funniest thing about this one uh when i read through it was he didn't even manage to hold the record for the shortest serving chancellor because uh there was a man ian mcleod who um died after a month of taking office in the 1970s oh. poor man so quasi quarteng couldn't even get the record for the shortest chancellor oh, no quasi. he couldn't get that but um you know he he did uh play his part for the conservative blm movement at the time and of course was the uh first black conservative cabinet minister so he did that uh, he got ticked off. He got made the scapegoat, if you remember rightly, because it was nothing to do with lockdown. It was nothing to do uh, with uh, the bad economy, economy, economy and recession that we'd had from 2008. No, it was Liz Truss and Quasi Kwarteng. They brought down the whole of the UK with one bad budget that it was all of their fault. And they even say it, the mini budget of September 2022 included 45 billion of tax cuts and was followed by market turmoil, a fall in the value of the pound and rising in the cost of the UK borrowing and mortgage rates. It was all quasi Quateng's fault. The cost of living crisis, he it's all his fault forever. He, his name will be mud. But you know what? You know what? The scary part is, right? That was just a mini budget, right? Could you imagine? <laughs> could you imagine what would happen if he lasted to the following March and he got to do a full budget? Oh my lord! And he, he completely overnight tanked the pound against the dollar. I'll never forget that the pound fell as low as one oh eight, which was crazy. And here's the other thing: there was a lot of shenanigans went on because, yeah, because when the stock market crashed as well. A lot of people piled a lot of money into the stock market, London brokers, over that weekend, knowing full well that it would ricochet and bounce spectacularly the following week. So some people were questioning. Uh, the, the word in the street was there could have been a little bit of uh, city interference yes. with that budget. Tank the stock market on Friday. They pile in with multi-billion dollar funds, make a killing on Monday, and then bail out on the Tuesday. And of course, wealth transfer. You know, people like us would be panicking on the Friday, yes. selling everything we had, while the London, the London geezers are buying it up. And then, of course, then we realize we've made a terrible boo-boo on Monday and tramp back in again and they sell us back our stock at an elevated price. A racket now. Something a tells racket. me he was compensated rather highly financially because who wants to be known, really, right? You're going to have to take some high compensation to say you are you are responsible for the world's worst budget ever and you're literally the worst person to ever do this job 
That's it. That's what he's known as. World's worst budget. You you wrecked the UK economy. You failed miserably. You are literally the worst person at your job forever uh, on, on the <laughs> record books. He sucked. And, and let's not forget Liz Truss. Uh, we talked about Kwasi lasting 38 days, and I'm sure you've had hangovers that have lasted for <laughs> longer have. than Kwasi, That's it. Kwasi Kwarteng. But Liz Truss as well. There was a YouTube channel. Uh, someone was predicting Liz Truss wouldn't make it to Christmas, and they put a lettuce uh, you know, a lettuce, an actual iceberg yeah. lettuce, and filmed it, live streamed the iceberg lettuce and say, I predict that this iceberg lettuce will last longer than Liz Truss as Prime Minister. And he was right. She was gone and before the do, iceberg do lettuce. Do you remember that I had uh, predicted that um, on the yes. show? I had also said, I don't believe she's designed to stay in that role. I think she's going to mm -hmm. be made a scapegoat. Um, it was mm -hmm. fairly obvious. Uh, they, they'd been looking like they wanted Rishi to take it unelected. And of course, he did. And they managed to get Kwasi Kwarteng to agree to destroy the UK economy in one budget and uh, take Liz trust down at the same time with her uh so yeah one, that that one last prediction right uh i remember the day liz trust quit uh darren darren and i were doing a locked and loaded show just an hour beforehand and he was talking about she's not going to make it to christmas and i made a prediction i said darren I don't think she'll even make it to Halloween because it was October. In fact, I said she may not even make it to the end of this show. And literally, and as soon didn't. as we went off there that day, she resigned in the last uh, minute of the Locked and Loaded show last year. Maybe she was listening and maybe she thought, oh, hell, Dee Dee and Rick uh, reckon I should go. So maybe she hung up her hat. But yeah, Kwakwa has gone. Uh, interesting story. And isn't it funny just to reminisce about this stuff, Natalie? But this isn't stuff that happened a long time ago. <laughs> this was only a year and a bit ago. And the sale week yeah, is a long seems, time in politics it, it seems a, year. a long time in you know in my head it feels like it was years ago but it wasn't because you know the way the mainstream media works now is distraction 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 story after story mm -hmm. it makes you feel like it was a lot longer and i really do feel for nige in the uh online chat he said liz truss is my mp with a oh. big sicky face so sorry Nige. Nige. you know sorry yeah about that's that. that's you know uh, it's well, bad at least enough it's not quasi quarteng at least uh, you might no. the worst case scenario is liz truss is your mp and quasi quarteng is your bank manager <laughs> uh that could be catastrophic <laughs> your finances on so many levels uh, uh talk about distractions and taking your eye uh taking our eyes off the ball let's hop across to australia uh australia yeah. uh premature deaths among hundreds of homeless australians is completely unacceptable, uh, the housing minister says. These are comments coming from Julie Collins in response to a Guardian Australian investigation as advocates push for new ways to monitor the crisis. So basically, there's hundreds of people dying on the streets in Australia. The housing minister, of course, has to come out and say it's terrible, it's completely unacceptable, but they're still dying. She's not actually doing anything about it. No, it's, it's really awful. Um, basically, she's come out and said, oh, it's completely unacceptable. Um, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll start looking at it and making uh, making it uh, better numbers. We'll do an investigation. So we're not sure if the numbers are real that the uh, Guardian Australia published. Uh, so she's almost saying the government will go and uh, do an investigation, which will basically mean they're not going to help the homeless. They're just going to publish a whole lot of figures mm -hmm. to prove that there aren't as many homeless people. Uh, but it's says as well uh, that there are people are dying on the streets uh, 44 years uh, before they should do, uh, half the span of the life of an average Australian. And 
nobody cares. And and it does feel like that. Do you remember saving granny? Well, uh, you know, we had yep. to do we had to shut down the world to save granny. But it seems that some people's life by the government are more important than others. So we'll just ignore you if on your yeah, if you're homeless. We'll just ignore you if you are a veteran. But if you're an immigrant, then we'll get care. And then, you know, we'll we'll make sure we're, that you're not homeless. But, you know, some people's life seems to have more value than, than others. And in Australia, it seems if you're homeless, we don't want to know. We can forget you. We won't even record your death properly um, and we can just try and forget you. And that and uh, that doesn't seem to be changing, even with her statement on trying to trying to say it's unacceptable. But there are no real plans in place to help the homeless in no. Australia from what I can make out. And the numbers as well in this investigation, it was done over a 12-month period, but they were investigating the deaths of 627 homeless people, not one or two or three or four isolated yeah. incidences here. We're talking about 650, almost 650 people, in that, and that's just the people that were part of this investigation. Of course, there's probably a lot more homeless deaths that don't uh, get yeah. recorded as being homeless deaths. They, you know, they simply bury them. Uh, they're trying to brush this issue under the carpet. This is uh, something else I saw yesterday. It's not something that I've highlighted to talk about here today but if you want to see something absolutely disgusting the new queensland premier who took over from anastasia Palaszczuk, his name's miles something uh he would there was a, a woman an old lady 70 stabbed to death in front of her six-year-old granddaughter uh at the weekend by a group of youths in australia uh he was talked yesterday made a, a conference didn't mention youth violence at all and when a reporter asked him about it just started laughing Started laughing, I kid you not, he's the most slimy, weasel-faced rat you've ever set eyes on, the new Queensland Premier. And then when he, he was literally laughing, ha, 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 giggling like an idiot. And then it was brought up, well, what about that woman that was killed and stabbed? And then he had to almost suppress the smirk off his face. And I said, well, there's nothing anybody could have done about that. It it has to be seen to be believed. And if anybody's listening into this today, uh, you, if you follow social media, just look it up, Queensland Premier laughs, and you'll see him actually laughing following the death, the butchering of this woman, 70-year-old oh. woman, for a car in front of her six-year-old granddaughter, and he can sit there and chuckle about it on live TV. What the hell's happening in Australia? That's absolutely awful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and I, I think the problem with a lot of politicians, they're so far removed from the actual people. Uh, let's be honest, most politicians globally in any country, they, they don't come from poverty. They don't they don't come from a place where, you know, ordinary residents uh, live and, and, and have uh, have to go through what we do. So that's just a classic example of it. Um, they say in this article as well, uh, some people have said a sick dog will get more attention than someone who is homeless in Australia. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that Queensland president would be exactly the same. He'd be the one that would walk past laugh at them because as long as he's getting paid as long as he's getting his expenses paid as long as he's got his big house do they really care rick do they actually care about the people that they're supposed to be representing no, they don't. And, you know, we've talked before about Jupiter's Delight, you know, this evil smirk. Yes. O.J. Simpson had it when he was found not yes. guilty. He grinned. Uh, Matt Hancock, when he was talking about the jab campaigns, no. Ted Bundy, uh, when he was on yes. trial as well. You, Natalie, have never seen Jupiter's Delight like this before. This guy actually this is... giggles like a giddy oh. little schoolgirl in the school. I, I kid you not. Uh, he was yeah, enjoying I'll send it. you the link. I, yeah. I'll tell you what, you have to see it to believe it. And when I actually watched it back, I thought it had been tampered with. 
Smith. I thought it was AI. He looks like a rare one. Uh, and the way it's, it, it just, it's it's weird. That's all I'm going to yes. say to you. It's weird and it's very, very unsettling and already there's a lot of calls that this guy should resign immediately. Really? That his position is completely untenable. Yeah, and he's only just into the job. So I'll send you that. Uh, you can see it for yourself and be, be prepared to be thoroughly disturbed for all the wrong reasons uh, when you see this grinning ninny laughing and giggling about uh, the lack of uh, addressing youth crime it, following it, the stabbing of an old woman it, in front of a granddaughter. It really is signs of sociopathy. Um, and uh, yeah, I just also wanted to say, I've seen little Carol in the online chat. I haven't seen you for a while, Carol, mm. so it's good to see you there. Uh, I've also got Blodders, Jeffro, Hidden in Plain Sight, Marley Bites, Mr. Moose, Gil Elephant, yeah, Nige, Lisa, Lou. Oh, there's so many in there. I can't mention mm -hmm. you all. I wish I could. So I just wanted to say a big thank you as well. We can't always read out all of your comments, but they are greatly appreciated. They're the favourite part of my show, all of your contributions, mm -hmm. Rick. Indeed. And some people commenting about this guy said that uh, Lou said that man is putrid in block capitals. And also Lisa said he's also known as the Grinner. The Grinner, that's yeah. his nickname. Yeah. I, I tell you, you know, I've been told many, many times, Rick, you've got a face that I just want to slap and punch. Many, many people have told <laughs> me that over the course of my life. But this guy in particular, I kid you not, when you see him, you just want to you just want to do bad things, of course, in your mind. You wouldn't possibly do them in real life, or would you? I don't know. But anyway, uh, that's that's the end end of the show uh, for now anyway uh, I'll be back after the news with uh, an Ireland special I'm going to be talking to Philip Dwyer citizen journalist for the first time and also my old chum Mark Malloy who's a fantastic activist here in Ireland that's coming up in Lock and Loaded Nat and I will be back tomorrow morning at 9am for Open Line and in the meantime you all have a good time you have a good day Nat and uh, yeah stay tuned for more here on TNT Music